All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 413. Jason Lingren is with me, and so is Logan Silsley. And he is joining us from Hawaii. Uh, welcome, Jason. Oh, what a beautiful hot afternoon it is. So when all this nonsense started in 2020, as time went on, we began to realize that some of the places people would like to be the most, like California and Hawaii, seemed to be getting the brunt and the worst times from the supposed covidious minimus pandemic. Uh, we're going to open up an hour one and talk about what happened in Hawaii. And by the way, you know, we know people like uh, Marty Leeds, who had a beautiful thing going there, and he fled. Not only did he flee, he went back to a place where the winters are brutal. So he left Hawaii uh, by choice to go back to brutal winters. And that says something about what's going on there. Anyhow, um, welcome, Logan. Hey, greetings, guys. Hopefully the connection will hold up. We're doing this on a cell phone up in the mountains of Hawaii, but um, do you got anything? Oh, we should probably ask you to state where people can find you online. Okay. Well, um, an hour or two, we're going to get a lot more into the deeper and more juicy good stuff I have to offer, which is um, I, I uh, teach natural farming. And um, I also have an Institute of Natural Farming, and that's where they can find me on uh the web at instituteofnaturalfarming.com. But more likely for me to respond to something um, would be on the Instagram at Institute of Natural Farming. So I would say those two locations would be the best for um, pertaining to the information we're presenting today. Are you guys, are you and Rose hooked together on uh, the app? On the, which app are you referring to? Instagram or any of them. No, I don't do Facebook or anything, but the Instagram and you guys don't do it much Instagram either. <laughs> no, Rose, Rose puts up images. Yeah, I'll make sure I, I am following Crow on Instagram, but I don't really see much going on there. But yeah, I have one that I made for my music account. So I'll follow you guys right now. Cool. Yeah. At Institute of Natural Farming. And then my other business or personal one doesn't really pertain too much to what we're doing here today. So, Logan, the day this goes live, you can log in uh, and under comments, put the links to all your stuff. Yes, sir. All right. So we're going to get into right out of the gate here. Um, the just tragic thumb screws that have been placed on Hawaii and places like Hawaii. California is one I know because I'm from there and uh, I know people who are dealing with what they're doing in such places. But now we're two. We're going to get into natural farming. There's a lot of things. And actually, it's interesting. I see Steiner listed in the hour two notes, but Jason, why don't you lead us in? All right. So as Crow mentioned, the whole coronavirus nonsense, Hawaii and a couple other states, but Hawaii is one of the worst states that locked down in a way that was just absolutely unbelievable and unrealistic. And I cannot believe people went for it, but they did. So why don't we start with that? The tales from the CV crypt. Yeah, that's how we got it labeled in the notes. So this was um this was a hard one for me and and you know just to start off I don't want to harp or go too long into this whole scamdemic thing just because I feel the energy we put out also builds it up like the aggregor that Crow always mentions so to keep the aggregor at bay we'll um try to keep this brief and to the point but there's a lot to cover um basically Hawaii is a, a real heavy blue state you know and just in the temperature of the world today that means a lot kind of of how people handle their communities and what they allow their government to do to them. So kind of facing that, you know, and being that we're an ancient indigenous culture here that has a history of colonization, 
all that plays like a heavy role into the backstory and the mental kind of mm, giving over to the to the lord kind of thing the overlord that is the landlord the uh, colonizer you know it's 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 real interesting to witness you know people kind of as soon as you scare them they're bowing down real fast so and then really what i've come to learn now that we're flash forward into the future is that more than the fear people are into compliance they're into abiding by the law and not ruffling feathers so you know i've had a, i've had an evolution of thought throughout this whole two year three year process as well but hawaii is definitely nuts you know i got stories of walking into places and trying to use things from crow triple seven radio to stand up for my rights and sometimes working and sometimes being faced with a security guard that's willing to you know bare knuckle fight you over a cloth on your face so i've ran the whole gamut of attempting to uh to assert my rights and uh what i settled for was uh wrapping a, like a real loose scarf around my face and never even letting it touch my chin or nose or face and just going about my business and that's how i've survived in hawaii the last couple of years is just kind of like a jedi walking through and and <laughs> you know, doing our thing, making it work. But anyway, to get into it here, we are the only state left in the whole nation that is masking children at school. Our whole state still has a full indoor mask policy for children at school. Right now, there there's a forced board of education meetings. Parents are up in arms. You know, it's uh, there's rallies every week on the other islands and it, it's still going strong. Just like, just like the thing started last month or something. People are pushing back to try to get the masks off the children. Oh, yes. I mean, ever since this started, there's been groups like For Your Rights Kauai and uh, these different groups of people have asserted their constitutional rights from the get go and have tried to rally people around it. And they've held, you know, we've held rallies outside of uh, the government buildings, outside of public schools, even been getting news coverage about the public school um, rallies that have been going on with the masks. Uh, they've been showing it on the news on basically a weekly basis because uh, we are the last state people are fed up and they just don't know what to do anymore. They complied all this time and, you know, just don't do it. Here's the simple thing. Don't do it. Let's talk a minute about why, why this is happening. I've been to Hawaii and one of the things you notice is the spirit of a place. When you get to a place, Hawaii mm-hmm. has a very amiable free spirit, I would say. Mm-hmm. So when we comprehend that our breath is our spirit and we comprehend that there are indigenous individuals with indigenous blood and the ideas that come along with that ancestry, uh, you can kind of put together why the thumb screws are being put so, so tightly to a place. Um, if I had to sum it up, I would say this is about banishing the spirit, blocking the spirit of a place. Well, the funny part is that you say that is that, that the native culture here, breath is spirit. The ha, the ha is the, ah, the breath of life. You know, it's life. Ha is life. Ha is breath. Ha is spirit. You know, aloha. You know, it's it's amazes me that those are the vulnerable people that accept it the most, the government overreach. It amazes me because they're the ones that have been teaching this since millennium that your breath is your spirit obviously it's in the on the christian tradition side too but that's what amazes me is how docile and willing to bend over to the colonizer instead of hey our native people 
told us this is the breath of life. We can't cover that. We can't restrict that. We can't dampen that. But no, we kind of get the opposite. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of Native brethren and sisters, brothers and sisters that know their truth, that know their spirit, that know their ancestry. So there's an interesting thing there, Logan. When I got there, I was openly called a Howley. Oh, yeah. By people who had been living in the islands whose skin was a bit darker than mine. Mm -hmm. And I asked, what does that mean? And someone finally explained to me the story of the the ships coming and and the whole story that goes with it. But basically, it came down to that I was a white guy and therefore I was without breath and lumped in with the people who had colonized, which is interesting because you're called a Howley. And again, we're back to spirit. And what the indigenous people were saying in that slang was that you you're without breath you're without spirit i think is is the basic gist of what they're what they're saying there isn't it yes sir that word has has definitely morphed and mutated over the years but if you talk to uh real ancient people that followed the the original language they will tell you what you just said ha as like i said the breath of life and uh, ole which is to to get off or remove or to leave alone uh you're without the breath of life without the spirit and Obviously, that didn't mean you weren't using your lungs and breathing air through your nose, but you just didn't have the connection to source. And a greeting, uh, ancient Polynesian greeting is a forehead to forehead, nose to nose, and an exchange of breath and mana through the the sharing of that spirit of life. That breath is is an ancient Polynesian greeting that's still used today. So that slang has held on for so long. Isn't it interesting that the powers that be have turned around to try to make the indigenous peoples who understood, comprehended what the breath represented, uh, and they're trying to turn them into Howleys. I remember when I was there, I ended up getting a t-shirt and writing Howley on the front of it. On the back of it, I wrote, just trying to catch my breath. Um, to oh, try to, to, yeah, to try to get along. <laughs> you're going to get some emails, Crow. <laughs> Hey, it is what it is. When I got there, I didn't comprehend what I was being called. And when I was told what I was being called, it made sense to me. I got why they were saying that. And uh, I got what had happened. Here's this beautiful place and it's basically been overrun. And you look around at the peoples who have heritage there and they're living in small places. And every mansion you see is someone from the mainland. So you can kind of see where the animosity comes from. 100%. I don't fault him. The, the idea of what's wrapped up in the insult Howley has a meaning that's quite important from my point of view. And what's, what's pretty interesting is, is like I grew up here and I went to school, elementary school here. And as soon as you show that you're not of that spirit, you know, I mean, this isn't obviously not a vocalized thing or anything, but as soon as you show that you're of a human real, they, they don't call you that anymore. You know, it doesn't matter what your skin looks like, but I've never been called that since the, uh, maybe the first week I stepped into class, you know, when I was in fourth grade, you know, so. So there was another problem that we heard about, and it was to do with policing, what the police were doing. And I wanted to ask you, um, do you feel like where you are, or is there a significant number of police officers that would be indigenous there, or is it something else? They try to hire like a local force to kind of like appease the population, just like I would imagine they hire darker skinned people in like inner cities and stuff like that, just to try to make people more comfortable and stuff. So there's definitely like a, like a local recruiting that's focused on for sure. And even a lot of my friends from high school are local cops now and kind of helps me out. But (laughs) so there is some cronyism going on, you know, family ties and stuff like that. But yeah, 
I think that goes on just about everywhere, but I would point out, uh, we had heard all kinds of stories of the police cutting people off from the beaches, yeah, forcing, forcing masks at the beaches, blocking peoples who had traditionally gotten some of their food out of the ocean or maybe a significant amount. All that was blocked. Is it still? No, that, so that happened the first two weeks during lockdown, you know, when we had the worldwide, somehow worldwide orchestrated lockdown and, um, that was happening then and shortly after that and was, you know, it was really just in the high traffic areas and it was really a big, big scare tactic. And we can get into a story that happened to me, but also they wanted to show on the news that they'll write you a ticket. Don't go here. Don't go there, which was all highly illegal, obviously. Backed by no law. No, backed by no law. And in, anyone that cited it would still get a ticket and Anyone that got rowdy would still get put in handcuffs, even though, and get this 90 something percent. They even told this on the news. This was on local news that 90% of those tickets got thrown out in court. Of course, there's nothing to back it up. Smash and grab, right, Jason? We've covered this. It's the bullying. It was a scare. Yeah. The inconvenience that is put in front of you is not meant to go the distance, but they know some large percentage of people don't want to face the inconvenience before Hour one gets away from us. You have a business and we heard from a lot of people. I told you about Marty Leeds. He had quite a beautiful little place going there. I think it was off grid, Jason, if I remember. He bailed. He couldn't take it anymore. And he went back to where was it, Jason? Wisconsin, somewhere with a severe winter. Yep. So you had a business, but you managed to keep it open the whole time. How'd you do it? Okay. Well, let me first preface that with I am also off grid on a uh, 11 acre. 100% 100% organic biodynamic farm. And it's uh, 100% off grid. We catch our own water. We have our own solar power, zero connection to the mainstream system. Wow. And that's one of the reasons why I, I couldn't leave, even though I tried. But anyway, we'll get into that a little later. But as far as the business goes, we have a small business. I've had it for 20 years um, in the same location. Uh, opened it right after I got out of high school. And I've had it ever since. And um, we never closed our door one day, even during the two week lockdown when they said only what, what they call it, um, what they certified now, uh, what m- mandatory businesses or whatever the heck they, they were calling you essential businesses. A- essential, yeah. Right. Um, we kept our doors open. Uh, we are visited by the fire department once and the health department once. We basically, in simple terms, Jedi mind tricked them (laughs) and they left us alone. How did you do it, if you don't mind saying? Well, for the fire department in particular, they came in and they said, you guys need to close essential businesses only. And we proceeded to let them know we are an essential business. And they said, prove it. And I said, well, number one, we sell fertilizer at our shop. Um, We'll get into that again later. So I said, we we have seeds and fertilizer for, for people. and um, seeds were an essential item at that point. And then also we sell CBD flour. So cannabis, CBD flour and concentrates, which are legal in all 50 States. We sell those at our shop too. So really we used a sleight of hand tactic because on the essential business list for Hawaii was listed cannabis dispensaries were allowed to stay open. 
So, so let's, let's, let's look at that for a second. Okay. Let's, let's back up the calendar by about 15 years, 15 years ago. Is there any way on God's green acre that a business would have been treated favorably because of its association to cannabis? I'm just Never. saying the Never. worm has turned, um, yes, you sir. notice liquor stores, uh, many liquor stores were held open. Um, cause people are going to have to get high if you're going to lock them in their house. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's called the bulletproof industry. It's recession proof. It's everything. Cause they know even when people are down and out, they're still going to buy that thing. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that is so God, how much we have changed in the yeah. last 15 ish years. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But, but Jason, you want to, you want to get this going in a direction? All right. So did we cover everything that we want to uh, get down about that? And uh, did you get anywhere with unmasking your nephew with methods learned on Crow Triple Seven Radio? Yeah. So um, on uh, kidsneedoxygen.com, which you guys covered on your show, right? Um, I forget the woman's name. We're using her tactics and a direct email to her. So my brother decided to, so just rewind real fast. I pulled my child out of, out of public school. Um, well he was in fourth grade at the time. And, um, he came home one day, this was at the very beginning. I'll make this brief, um, very beginning of the scamdemic. And, uh, I already had an agreement with this teacher that he would not be forced to put on a mask at, at any time. And if, if that was the case, they would call me first. And, um, he comes home from school and goes, Hey, uh, uncle David, I guess I could say his name because I'm not trying to hide anything. And we call teachers uncle and auntie here. It's a, it's a Hawaiian thing. But anyway, he uh, made me put on a mask when I got up to uh, go get a, my pencil sharpened. That same day, I was at the school. Uncle David's lucky he wasn't in the hospital. But anyway, um, he, my son was out of the school immediately from that kind of overreach. I just wasn't having any of it. But anyway, fast forward, my brother kept his son in the same school, who's a grade ahead of my son. And, um, I've been trying to help him out with the masking thing and he's been fighting. He fights him every week about it. He complains to the principal. He's da, 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 da. But finally he, he got a hold of the woman there um, and she helped him fully implement an unmasking policy for him, his son, um, using those methods learned on Crow triple seven radio. Who was this? Where did it come from? Are you talking about Natalie Sprague? I think so. The kids need oxygen.com. I believe yeah, Rose is messaging me. It's Natalie Sprague. She's in the chat. If you want to keep an eye on it. So I think we're yeah. talking about from episode 383.5. It's 0.5 episode. Natalie Sprague, uh, according to what Rose is showing me is the source of what you're talking about. Yep. And so I'll go over that real quick. What happened? He delivered the letters like she instructed him to do. Um, he, went to school the next day and they said, we will not talk to you. Refused to talk to my brother, let his son go to school that day without a mask. And, um, basically we're at a point where no, no, don't talk to him about anything is where, is where it was at. My nephew reported being basically discriminated and told to sit in the back of the class, yada, yada, yada. So he played a game with them for a, for a while of, uh, kind of fighting back and forth about this mask. It did work, but overall, did it, was it implemented successfully? I would say no, just because of the discrimination from the teachers. Um, one day, my nephew hurt his wrist. He went to go get an ice pack at the nurse's office. She wouldn't give it to him until he put a mask on. 
So, you know, there was still heavy discrimination and law breaking going on, even though Aren't these massive lawsuits. That you yeah, could I was going to ask, is, I mean, come anyone's... on. Well, the thing is, my brother, he knew it because he talked with the with the, uh, the, the Natalie there or whatever. Excuse yeah. me if I messed up her name, but he talked to her again and she said, OK, now you're at the point where you need to do the lawsuit. And my brother is just a, he's a great human being, but he's no one that's ready to file a lawsuit and sit in court and deal with all that. He's just not on that kind of vibration. And uh, he didn't go forward with that. So and I think that's where a lot of people end up getting stuck. So, yeah, it's it's just such a smash and grab. It's exactly what it is, because to enforce your rights with the system that's here, you got to put up with things most people want nothing to do with. And going into court is one of those things. And by the way, the way this was orchestrated, you go to court, uh, look at look at Alphonse. No, I'm not putting on a mask. Well, you're not coming in. Then I do process. So it's bad enough that the police are violating the laws that are on the books. The courts are also, along with the school boards and everywhere else, not to be a dark shadow. We've covered numbers of people who have successfully demonstrated that they can put the liability on the people enforcing this stuff. And we've seen positive outcomes. But nonetheless, it's all designed to be such a giant hassle that 80 or 90% of people aren't willing to deal with it. Um, and that had to be in the careful planning of this. But how many children do you have, Logan? I have three children. So two of them were born in Hawaii, and then you had to leave the state to have the third to uh, bring bring the life into the world the way you wanted to? Yes, sir. Tell us about it. Okay. So I want to preface this story with, I'm a child of a natural birth. My mother had five natural births all at home. I attended my little brother and sister's natural birth. And I'm going to try to get through this without getting emotional too, because it is an emotional subject. But so natural birth was, I thought was just easy. Like I thought it was just what humans do because that's all I ever witnessed as a human, as a child. And um, yeah, we did recently got pregnant 12 years after my first son, which was a blessing from God. There's no other way to explain it. But we were faced with uh, hospitals here turning me away, the father away from the um, visits. Now we can get into why I was at a hospital. We'll catch into that later in the story. But we were turned away. I personally was turned away from going to the hospital visit. We tried to implement the affidavits to get no mask for my wife. Those were all met with laughs and head shakes and whatnot. And I, again, I could have pursued it more. I chose not to. So we, as a collect, as a family, we decided let's leave this state and go have our baby in peace. You know, let's go somewhere where we're going to be treated humanely and we're going to be treated like, uh, like we should, you know, like decent human beings. So we chose the state of Arkansas and uh, we found a women's center there and it was a brilliant place. And, and I would love to get into natural birth and talk about that because I know that's something that you cover here on Crow Triple Seven Radio often. A lot. And I can add, add a lot to it. It's one of the more important things we cover. The things that have helped other individuals out in the world gone crazy, those are important episodes. But what we're getting into here is our wing and our prayer for the next generation. Every one of these lives that comes in in the way you're about to describe is the biggest deal to me. They are the hope of what's around the corner, if I had to make an estimation. So let's get into it. Yeah. So 
again, I'm a, I'm a child of a natural birthing mother. I have had no vaccines my whole life. Neither have any of my siblings. My oldest brother was vaccinated when my, my mother had him at 18 years old. And he was vaccinated and had allergic reaction where he was faced with a life or death hospital situation. And my mother uh, did the due diligence and research after that and vaccinated none of us. And I'm super thankful for that. Uh, we all have our foreskin intact and <laughs> we are, uh, I, I always wonder how much these kind of small things or big things contribute to the human you become as an adult. So obviously when I had my children, um, we decided the same thing and my wife, she's on the same page as me a hundred percent. And, um, I'm going to get into these stories real quick. My first son, um, well, first let me preface this with a message to the women. Okay. We need to support the women in natural birthing more than anything over an ideology, over an ideal over in a vision of what you think is right or wrong over your vision of perfection. We need to support the birthing mother, the individual birthing mother and her needs, her wants and what she feels comfortable with. So I need to preface this whole talk with that. And I also want to really drive home in this part of the conversation that there around the United States, there are great, great birthing facilities. Yes, uh, government sanctioned or, or businesses or whatever they are, but there's great women's birthing centers that aren't hospitals per se all around the nation. So don't rule that out. And let me get into my stories of why I prefaced with that. My first son, we were young in our early twenties and, uh, we attempted to have him at home. Um, we had a midwife, we had a doula, um, great women. We were young, and like I said, I thought that natural birth was just something that you do. <laughs> My wife grew up uh, kind of conventional Christian. Uh, her mother had a C-section and a hospital birth for their children. And anyway, three days into a home birth, we transferred to the hospital. My first son was, uh, was brought into the world C-section. And uh, it, it was great. It was a crazy experience. It was a whole gamut of emotions, but in the end, we had our beautiful baby boy. We, uh, he got no inoculations. He got no IGU. He got no vitamin K. He got nothing at the emergency situation. We had to go do the C-section, which was actually at a birthing center that's closed at this point in Hawaii now. So that, that's the first story. The second story was just about six years ago, and I'm not going to dwell on this one too long. My wife, when we first got pregnant, signaled that she wanted a scheduled cesarean due to the fear focused around the last one. So again, what I'm saying is we need to support women and their individual needs um, and what they want to do. There's no 100% right way to bring a child in. The best way to bring a child is alive. And so my second son was born at home and he was a stillbirth with a midwife. So that's what led us to the third child being that we were going to the hospital to do it um, just because my wife was way more comfortable in that situation. So I want listeners to understand what you need to do to make a successful, healthy child come into this world. You need to do that. So again, 
home birth, best case scenario. The family's there. You've got the bathtub. you got your food. you got your, you know, everything is perfect. Next best scenario, find a great women's center in somewhere near you that has shares the same values. Now, now in Arkansas, they never, they didn't question us when we said we didn't want IGU or any, they just said, okay. So, you know, people do have the nightmare hospital stories. I suggest don't go to a hospital, whatever you do, try to go to a birthing center. There's usually like a midwife practice there. And obviously not like your super mystic home midwives, but more of these doctor trained midwives, but they understand, they know they've seen thousands of births and thousands of parents. So they, most of the time, you know, contrary to maybe popular belief, they'll respect your choices, you know? So yeah, I just wanted to lay all that out there and, and kind of just a hundred thousand percent in agreement that home birth is the way, but let's not that stifle or make any moms out there feel bad about uh, what they need to do to, to bring a healthy child into the world. So I think you said some important things there, many, um, particularly supporting what the mothers need to have happen. Um, it's a critical thing, but if there's nothing more we're going to add about that, let's keep moving through unless Jason wants to get something in. No, I'm, I'm totally behind the, the home births, but I also agree that if you are having a situation that calls for another situation, you have to do what's right for the mother, the child. And even the father, you have to do what you have to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I'm not trying to shock anybody. And it, it is a heavy story and everything. And I knew that too. I wasn't trying to drop like a big bomb on everyone. But my main point was, was like, there's no like right way to do it. And I, a lot of the shows, and, and even though I'm in a thousand percent agreement with everything you've said on all your shows, as far as home birth goes, I, I wanted to bring to the table that there are alternatives that are just as righteous and clean and healthy and good. All right. Well, let's keep pushing in here. Um, there's a bullet point that's, that's not very well. Um, I'm not sure where this goes, but you, you have a bullet point about an experience with, with an illness. What's that referring to? Okay. So I wanted to touch on this because again, this is referring to what people might call CV or beer bug or, you know, whatever yep. we're going with. And um, basically Jumping back into this crazy uh, CV nonsense, when that Delta Delta variant was on the news or whatever, I came down with a pretty gnarly flu. My mother did as well. And I wouldn't have paid any attention besides just a regular old flu, but my smell and my taste went away. So this is 100% truth. <laughs> I got sick and my smell and taste went away. And to this day, it still isn't the same as it once was. <laughs> so whether I got snake poisoning, <laughs> whether I got nanobot infection, whether I got 5G, I do not have the answer to that. What I know is that it wasn't something called the Delta variant, but it was a sickness. And how I treated that sickness was with cannabis, citrus, and rest. <laughs> How long were you down? I would say the brunt of it was a 10-day stint. Was there difficulty in breathing as part of it? So that's that was one part that I was keeping an eye out for the whole time, but never really experienced a gnarly lung issue at all. Uh, I could say maybe a slight restricted breathing, but never 
never like anything scary as far as the breathing goes. And and keep in mind, I'm I'm inhaling like large amounts of hashish to treat these these what I'm feeling, the symptoms that I'm feeling. And this is what's what's keeping me able to function is every time that I inhale the, the hashish is when the the nausea goes away, the pounding headache goes away. I'm able able to consume some some nutrients and maybe fall asleep and get on with my life. So that was my go-to treatment on like a four-hour basis, you know? So you're calling this a flu. Does this imply that there was vomiting or diarrhea? Was there anything like that with it? So there was definitely the latter. Um, I didn't do the vomiting thing. So I was holding like holding down small amounts of nutrients. So yeah, it wasn't like that standard flu where you're just, I did have the fever and, and whatnot and sweating at night and whatnot and some cold chills and stuff like that. So that's the part I would say it was flu-like. So when this all began, Jason and Rose and I started to get emails, a lot of them from New York City, and they were exactly this. Um, down, some of them had real difficulty in breathing. Remember Big Al we covered? They tried to get him on a ventilator and remdesivered him, I think one or two doses. Um, he got out from under that and lived. But this is, it created a huge problem. We knew people in New York were saying there's something going on here. And it was the same every time. So sick, can't get up. Sense of smell, sense of taste gone. An extended mm-hmm. stint. You know, usually like when I've had what I would call a flu in my life, you feel really bad for three, four days, and it might be a large number of days before you really feel like you're back. But what was going on is many communities that I'm aware of were saying there is no COVID. This is all fake. Um, And these people were saying, but wait a minute, I'm sick. And it created such a divide because the people who were sick or new people or who had lost people who may have went into the hospital, it was a hell of a thing. And to this day, we hear the same thing from the people who realize that most of what's gone on in the world was planned out in some way. But how do you account for loss of smell and taste? And by the way, from all the people that I've listened to in the health community, if you're having diarrhea, that usually means your body's trying to clean something out of itself. Yes, sir. I agree with you a hundred percent. And I, I do feel that it was, yeah, like you said, you can't dismiss it once it happens to you. So I was of the camp of, hey, this is just the seasonal flu, and they've twisted it into this control mechanism. But I experienced it myself. And I said, I'd even told myself, if I lose my taste and smell, then I'll know something fishy is going on. And that's exactly what happened. (laughs) So it's kind of crazy. And I could also see a layman, like someone not sound of mind, getting the symptoms I've had and rushing themselves to the hospital just out of the fear, the mongering that's going on with the media and everything, and then getting their indesivir treatment. And then slowly decaying and, and then you got your death count. So now that I've witnessed it, I can see how they pulled it off and how it worked. What that illness was, again, I just wanted to bring this up on, on the radio because I didn't I don't know what caused it. I know what it wasn't, just like we know what we know NASA lied, but we don't know the exact model. You know what I mean? It's like yep. we know what it wasn't, but we don't know what it is a hundred percent. There's a lot of theories, but we don't have it pinpointed. And that's, I think, where we're at with this whole thing. So there's a firsthand experience that has bothered me since this all began. 10 years ago, my mother used to have problems sleeping because her sinuses would plug. 
So her doctor of probably 30 years gave her this like a Flonase type device. And I was in San Diego and I was talking to her one day and she said she'd lost her sense of smell and taste. By the way, she never got it back. Mm. We tracked it back to this like Flonase type. I don't know whether it's normally a steroid or something. You spray up your nose to keep your sinuses from. So I told my mom to hold on to it and stop using it. And when I got out here the next time, I unwrapped this giant little folded up paper with text that was so small that even with a magnifying glass, I couldn't read it. I had to get a different magnifying glass to read the small text. And within that text for that product was that there possibility that you could lose your sense of taste and smell. For the rest of my mother's life, she could taste wine a little bit or things that were super, super sweet. And that was it. That's what she could taste. And it is always nod at the back of my mind of whether this was some kind of a run, whether things that were in the pharmaceuticals were being trotted out. How could you possibly give somebody a drug to clear their nasal so it doesn't plug, knowing full well you could deprive them of one of their senses? Anyhow, I just figured I'd put it out on the table, but that's another lesson about taking any drug. But your mother also got sick. Did she get sick in the same way you did for the same length of time you did? Yes, sir. A hundred percent, exactly the mimicking symptoms. And I, I actually bedside treated her because I knew what worked for me and we got her through it in about 10 days as well. So you used cannabis. Did your mother use cannabis before this? She's a light cannabis user, you know, for, for sleep and, and, you know, medicinally. For some people, that might be a great option. For other people, you know, like if it had been my mother, I used CBDs for the dementia, but the problem was, is she had no tolerance for it. And um, I had to be very careful, uh, actually opting not to use it quite, quite often. But anything you want to get in here, Jason? I mean, I know you got the emails I did. I know Rose did. Uh, Big Al is the one guy that we did. But how many emails did we get, Jason, when oh, COVID first tons. became a, a news item? about people getting sick in this very same way. Well, here's the thing. I got something and I lost my taste and my smell, but it had nothing to do with my lungs or anything like that. It was all like a very bad cold in the nose, like a like the mm-hmm. fluish, but it was all in my head, like sinus pressure. Had nothing to do with my chest and all that, which is what they were making such a big deal out of. I had no problems breathing whatsoever. It was all just my sciences were constantly stuffed. My nose was running nonstop. I mean, it had nothing to do with anything. But for the first time in my life, I did indeed experience that weird lose your sense of smell, lose your sense of taste. And what I did, I kept forcing something to happen. I kept opening up a vacuum container of coffee beans, which is, of course, a very strong smell. And I kept shoving my face in there and trying to breathe it. And it took two and a half days for it to come back. So... I've never completely bought what they're selling because I had similar symptoms, but not what they said is this thing that's so deadly and we need to lock the entire planet down. It just isn't the same thing. Well, the point is I got sick. By the way, day after my mother died, I got sick and I was down sick. But at that time, which was recently, I had it in my mind that it's possible that this is like an electromagnetic frequency. That's what I've been thinking. I'd been sick before. So the first day I couldn't get up, didn't want to get up. The second day I forced myself up and I went and I stared at the sun. After three days, I was okay. I could get up and I could eat. But there was another thing I wanted to add, Jason, that I forgot about. God, what was it? 
Well, here's the other thing, since we were talking about the cities. There were several major cities that seemed to be experiencing some kind of really weird something, like far worse than anywhere else. And that's where I think a lot of the people are jumping on the snake venom thing. We're like, hey, maybe they really did put something in the water. Mm -hmm. Nothing would surprise me. I mean, the bad guys have done some pretty awful stuff in modern history. We, We just don't know. And there's certain pieces of evidence that could lean towards that maybe there's some relevance to it. But then there's other places like where I'm at where it's like crickets, like nothing going on or barely anything going on. And guess what? If you walk around wearing a face diaper for eight hours a day every day, you're probably going to get bacterial pneumonia because that thing's getting soaked with your hot breath and the moisture and you're breathing it in over and over and over and over again, which is just plain stupid. Time to quote Fortune. (laughs) The other day I'm talking to Fortune. And, you know, you got to you got to have a friend like that to say a thing that's so freaking obvious on the face of it that no one's thinking of. And he says, young man, you do know the first rule of biology. (laughs) And I said, well, no, what is it? And he says, everything dies in its own waste. This big bell goes off. And I said, fortune, I'm stealing that. And I put up a picture on the social media I never use of a girl with a mask. And I wrote down the first rule of biology. Everything dies in its own waste. But what I what I wanted to say before, Jason, I just remembered talking with people who know things, and I know you know who I'm talking about, that what was being sprayed in the air was part of the queue up for this. And when you think about the possibility of that, it reminds me of what I said to you, Jason, like two and a half years ago, where if they were going to put something in a product, it would be something commonly used. I think I used milk is the example, you know, something that almost everybody uses. But I think that's that's the way I think of it. But when I got sick, I used the sun and the idea that I know I can raise my vibration. But who knows, would I have been better in three days anyhow, had I not done that? You know, it's this is always the problem. I feel like, oh, I knew what to do and I went and did the right thing. But the truth is, maybe I would have been just fine in three days anyhow, because my mother had just passed away. I'd done an incredible five-year stint. We were working seven days a week the whole time. Just maybe I was just so run down, I couldn't go another step. But You know, I don't know if I ever said this on the air, but one of the things that kept floating through my mind when this whole nonsense started was the first Batman movie, the one from 1989. Keaton? Michael Keaton. Right, but do you remember what the premise of that was? Like how the Joker was going to bump people off? No. It was a multi-part weapon in very common items. And if you put Mm -hmm. the two items to get the up, and I don't remember if it was two or three things, but it was all common things that every single person would use, just about every single person would use. Skincare products, hair care products, deodorant, like all, all normal things that just about everybody would use. And when the right combination came together, the weapon went off and, and bye-bye you. I kept thinking about that when all the stuff first was coming out because it was so targeted in big cities like New York. But uh, we only have a few minutes left for hour one. So is there anything you want to make sure gets in here before we sign off? Before Logan does it, I want to point out, Jason, that I have thought the same thing, which is why I made the milk comment. But you know what other popular show did that right in the vicinity of Covidius Minimus? Rick and Morty. Do you remember the one where there's a, a place being purged? And Morty kills a bunch of people and he's feeling guilty. So Rick tells him, I don't feel bad because you ate one of the candy bars and they put purginol in it. The irony was that after Morty had done this, the candy bar said, now purginol free. But the point is, is the idea is that they had put something called purginol, and we all know what purge means, um, into the food so the people would die, basically. All right, I guess we're there, guys. So anyone want to add anything or should we wrap up hour one? 
I'll just finish out with the predictive programming, how Dr. Trebin and uh, how Amanda talked about the nanobots kind of sounds like it could be something with the aerosols and then just follow the funding. You know, the blue states are the ones keeping it alive, keeping the numbers up. Uh, that's the cities we saw the worst amount of cases in. So that you follow the funding. Why are the schools in the DOE of Hawaii still masking children? They're getting paid to. It's pretty simple. All right. So before I get you to lay down where people can contact you again, this is the thing I've been doing lately. I go down to the beach every day to pray and meditate, or at least almost every day. As I was walking down some months ago, the, the lines were across the sky and it dawned on me all at once. So I've added this into my prayers. The creator has granted me as beneficiary of this creation free and unencumbered access to the heat, light, and spiritual evolution of the sun. And I demand that anyone who is blocking that right granted to me by the creator cease and desist immediately. What's weird, and the only reason I'm mentioning this, is because we went for the first time in as long as I can remember, something like five days um, without any noticeable trails. There was a lot of wind, and I noticed in the past when there's a lot of wind, you don't see a lot of trails. But since then, and since the wind has subsided, I have seen a couple trails, but the odd thing is they're not over the ecliptic or the path of the sun and the moon. And I figured I would just mention this because what if this is such a spiritual onslaught that simply claiming a birthright has somehow, you know, has an effect. Anyhow, wanted to get it out there because a lot of people hear this. And I'm sure there are people who are spiritually far beyond what I am. Matter of fact, I met one not too long ago. But Logan, tell folks where they can find you online, please. So um, best for what's coming up in hour two and what you're going to want to contact me about um, is going to be the natural farming stuff we're going to get into. And that is at, at Institute of Natural Farming on Instagram at Institute of Natural Farming and also the website. Uh, com, which is kind of more just a landing pad, kind of a generic website, but there's a contact there as well that takes you to the email. Right. There it is. Hour one of episode 413 with Jason Lindgren and Logan Silsley. That's a hard word to say. I got to look at it <laughs> twice. I want to say Sizzley. <laughs> Silsley, join us for hour two at crow777radio.com where members know to log in. That's C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. And we're going to get into, we did this kind of backwards. In the past, we've kind of put what we just laid down in hour one over into hour two because of the pressures of the world. But we reversed that intentionally. And I saw it when the notes came to me. We're going to get into natural farming, all kinds of things about it. And just as part of what I'm noticing, uh, there's a certain bullet point, which I'm interested in getting into, that covers Steiner, Cho, Fukuoka, and Molson. That's going to be an interesting bullet point, but microbial farming, just all these things to do with natural farming. This matters. For me personally, I have just put in a bunch more apple trees. I have grapes. I have a miniature fig tree. I have all kinds of berries. I'm putting in food right now. And while I do have freeze-dried food, just in case the going ever really gets tough, I think it's critical that people know something about how to grow food. Everyone needs to do it. But there it is. Join us on the other side. And I'd like to wish everybody a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.